Let us turn together in the scriptures to Psalm 68. We will read the psalm in its entirety, and I'll call your attention to verse 18, which will be the text. Let us hear the word of God, Psalm 68. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God, yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Sing unto God, sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name, Jah, and rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. O God, when thou wentest forth before thy people, when thou didst march through the wilderness, the earth shook. The heavens also dropped at the presence of God. Even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. Thou, O God, didst send a plentiful rain, whereby thou didst confirm thine inheritance when it was weary. Thy congregation hath dwelt therein. Thou, O God, hast prepared thy goodness for the poor. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. Kings of armies did flee apace. And she that tarried at home divided the spoil. Though ye have lean among the pots, yet shall ye be as the wings of a dove, covered with silver, and her feathers with yellow gold. When the Almighty scattered kings in it, it was white as snow in Salmon. The hill of God is as the hill of Bashan, and high hill as the hill of Bashan. Why leap ye, ye high hills? This is the hill which God desireth to dwell in, yea, the Lord will dwell in it forever. The chariots of God are twenty thousand, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them, as in Sinai, in the holy place. Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. He that is our God is the God of salvation. And unto God, the Lord, belong the issues from death. But God shall wound the head of his enemies, and the hairy scalp of such such an one as goeth on still in his trespasses. The Lord said, I will bring again from Bashan, I will bring my people again from the depths of the sea, that thy foot may be dipped in the blood of thine enemies, and the tongue of thy dogs in the same. They have seen thy goings, O God, even the goings of my God, my King, in the sanctuary. The singers went before, the players on instruments followed after, among them were the damsels playing with timbrels. Bless ye God in the congregations, even the Lord, from the fountain of Israel. There is Benjamin with their ruler, the princes of Judah and their council, the princes of Zebulun and the princes of Naphtali. Thy God hath commanded thy strength. 
Strengthen, O God, that which thou hast wrought for us. Because of thy temple at Jerusalem shall kings bring presents unto thee. Rebuke the company of spearmen, the multitude of the bulls, with the calves of the people, till every one submit himself with pieces of silver. Scatter thou the people that delight in war. Princes shall come out of Egypt. Ethiopia shall, sh- shall soon stretch out her hands unto God. Sing unto God, ye kingdoms of the earth. O sing unto the Lord. To him that rideth upon the heavens of heavens, which were of old. Lo, he doth send out his voice, and that a mighty voice. Ascribe ye strength unto God. His excellency is over Israel, and his strength is in the clouds. O God, thou art terrible out of thy holy places. The God of Israel is he that giveth strength and power unto his people. Blessed be God. Verse 18, we will consider for a few moments this evening. Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Beloved in the Lord, Psalm 68 resounds with notes of triumph, and we likely felt that as we heard the psalm read. Psalm 68 is a spirit-inspired psalm of victory. It was composed by David, the king after God's own heart, to celebrate the deliverance that Jehovah brought to his people Israel. The psalm celebrates God's deliverance, his presence among his people, his mighty acts, and the victory that he gave them over their enemies. Now, those who study the Bible... Scholars of the Bible have debated what the historical occasion for the writing of this psalm was. And it seems like the likeliest occasion is the well-known history of David bringing the ark from Kirjath-Jerim to Jerusalem. You recall that history, how David, after he had conquered Jerusalem, taken it from the Jebusites, he made it his capital city, and then He went and he took the ark from the private home of a man named Abinadab and brought it to Jerusalem. And it was there in the streets of Jerusalem that there was the incident of Uzzah touching the ark. And Uzzah was struck dead and David was upset about that. And so the ark went and stayed for a while in the house of Obed-Edom until David's hands were strengthened and he went back to take the ark out of the house of Obed-Edom and bring it the rest of the way up to the top of Mount Zion there in Jerusalem where David had pitched a tent, a tabernacle to house the ark of God. And likely, that is the historical event that stands behind Psalm 68, just like it is the likely event that stands behind Another ascension psalm, Psalm 24. There are various things in this psalm that lead us to that conclusion. The psalm speaks on multiple occasions of going up, ascending. And that brings to mind that historical event of the ark of God ascending up Mount Zion. One particular thing in the psalm that points to this historical occasion is Verse 1. In verse 1 we read, 
Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, let them also that hate him flee before him. Those words were spoken long before David wrote them in Psalm 68. In fact, those words in Psalm 68 verse 1 were were words that Moses spoke before the ark moved while the children of Israel were going through the wilderness. Numbers 10, verse 35. Listen to the similarity. Numbers 10, verse 35. And it came to pass when the ark set forward that Moses said, Rise up, Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered, and let them that hate thee flee before thee. So the the psalm begins with that traditional, that well-known phrase going all the way back to Moses. That phrase that was spoken when the ark was moved, and that indicates that The occasion of this psalm is the moving of the ark, likely the ark's ascension up to the top of the hill of Zion. There are other things in this psalm that that hint at that. For example, verses 24 and 25, which speak of the singers going before and players on instruments followed after. And that fits with the picture that we find in, in 1 Samuel, where the ark is going up through Jerusalem, and David the king is dancing, and there is celebration, there is music. And that helps us understand the significance of this psalm. While this psalm was written for a specific historical occasion, celebrating God's acts of deliverance for his people in the past, There is a deeper and richer significance, namely this. The psalm points ahead to the ascension of Jesus Christ. The ascension of the ark in Jerusalem to the top of Zion's hill was a historical type, a picture, a foreshadowing of the ascension of Jesus Christ. And in fact, this is the inspired interpretation of our text. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, verses 7 and 8, refers to Psalm 68, verse 18, and applies this text to the ascension of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 7, But to every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, he gave gifts Unto men. There the inspired apostle indicates. That this verse is first of all speaking. About Jesus Christ. Jesus ascended on high. Jesus led captivity captive. Jesus received gifts for men. Through Jesus. God dwells among his people. And that's why we sing Psalm 68. This is the church's victory song. This is the church's song celebrating the ascension of Jesus Christ. And what his ascension means for us. So let's reflect on this victory song of the church. Our theme is, Thou hast ascended on high. That triumphant exclamation that begins our text. Thou hast ascended on high. We're first going to look at the event. The event of the ascension. Secondly, the benefits of it. And finally, the purpose. 
Thou hast ascended on high the event, the benefits, the purpose. To help us draw out the richness of this text, we need to look a little bit at the historical occasion, the event that occasioned the writing of this psalm. As mentioned in the introduction, the historical occasion is the ascension of the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem. You notice how closely the text identifies the Ark with Jehovah, the God of Israel. The text says, Thou hast ascended on high. That's what David said. That's what the people sang as they saw the ark going up. They said, Thou ascendest on high. The reason for that is not that the Israelites had some pagan notion that God was contained in that box called the ark. Or that somehow that wooden box was God. But rather this, as we know from the Old Testament, the ark was the symbol, the representation of God's presence among His people. It was the symbol of God's special covenantal presence. When the people of Israel looked upon the ark, they saw God with us. That's what the ark meant to them. God with us. Not that the ark is God, but the ark represents God with us, dwelling in the midst of us. And on that ark was the mercy seat, which pictured for them the way that they had access to God, how they had fellowship with God, how they found acceptance in His sight through the blood of atonement that paid for their sins. That blood, the bulls and goats, which pointed ahead to the blood of the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world. The ark represented God with and among his people. And throughout Israel's history, throughout their journey from Egypt to Canaan, the ark was with them and the ark went before them. And that pictured God leading his people, protecting his people, delivering his people, granting to his people that which he promised to them. Let your mind go through that history. How the ark led Israel through the wilderness until they reached the banks of Jordan. And whose feet were the first in the water of the Jordan River? It was the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark of the covenant. And as the ark entered that water, God caused the water of the Jordan to part. And Israel crossed the Jordan just like they did through the Red Sea on dry ground. And then there was that first great battle of the conquest of Canaan on the other side of Jordan. The battle of Jericho. And it was the ark of God that led the people of Israel in their circuit around that city. Till God by his mighty power brought the walls crashing down. The ark went before them. God with them. And God among them. And God fighting for them. God giving them the victory. They gained not the land by the edge of the sword but by God's mighty hand. So, the ascension of the ark up Zion's hill to the tabernacle that David had pitched there, which would be replaced by the Temple of Solomon, that was a very significant event. There's a couple of points of significance that I want to draw out tonight. And the first is this. When the ark ascended up to the top of Zion's hill, to its final resting place, that represented the full completion of the Exodus. You think about the the ark's journey. 
It was constructed at the foot of Mount Sinai according to the instructions of God. It led the people through the wilderness into Canaan. And then finally, by God's providence, the ark is brought to the top of that mountain where God had said, this is where my name will dwell among my people. It came to its final resting place. That was the completion of God's work of bringing his people out of the house of bondage into the promised land. The ark ascending and being set there in its final resting place indicated the fulfillment of God's promises to his people Israel. God had brought them into the promised land. God had given them the promised land. And now God has given them rest from their enemies. God has set King David, the king after his own heart, over them. And through David, God rules his people. And God is with his people. From his holy place on Mount Zion. Going along with that, secondly, the ascension of the ark to the top of Mount Zion was significant in that it represented the complete triumph of God over the enemies of his people. The Lord had not only delivered them from the Egyptians, but by his mighty hand and by his outstretched arm, he had scattered the Canaanites. He had delivered them from nations far stronger than they. You find that triumphant note of victory over mighty enemies. For example, in verse 12 of the psalm, where the psalmist says, Kings of armies did flee apace, and she that tarried at home divided the spoil. The ascension of the ark was a kind of triumphal entry of Jehovah God, the victorious conquering king who defeated the enemies of his people. And now takes his place upon his throne, in his holy place, to pour out his blessings. Upon his people Israel. That historical event. That background. Of this triumphant song. Was just a picture. Was just a foreshadowing. Was just a historical event. That God providentially designed. To point ahead to something way better. The ascension of the victorious Christ to his Father's right hand in glory. That's really what this psalm is about. It's about the ascension of Jesus Christ. Let's look at how the the typology, the pictures of this historical event reveal Jesus in his ascension. First, the Ark of the Covenant. Ultimately, the Ark of the Covenant and and indeed the tabernacle and the temple itself were all pictures of Jesus Christ himself. When the Israelites saw the Ark going before them, they said, God with us. That's Jesus' name. One of his names. Emmanuel. God with us. The ark represented the presence of God with his people. God going forth for the salvation of his people. That's Jesus Christ. God with us. The presence of God with us. God going forth in human flesh for our salvation. In the deepest sense, Jesus is God with us. He is God with us through the incarnation. At the incarnation, the glory of divinity filled the temple 
of Jesus' assumed humanity. He became man and the fullness of the Godhead came to dwell among us bodily. And through Jesus, God is present with, among His people. Through Jesus, God rules, God governs, God saves, God pours out His blessings upon us. Jesus is our Emmanuel through whom and on account of whom we have fellowship with God, access unto Him and acceptance with Him. The ark, the tabernacle, the temple are all ultimately pictures of the man Jesus Christ. And so, as that ark ascended up through Jerusalem to its final resting place atop Mount Zion, that historical event was a picture of Jesus going up. Jesus going up not just a hill, but Jesus going up to heaven. The ascension of our Lord. David wrote, the people sang, Thou hast ascended on high. How much they understood of those words that they sang, how much of this typology they grasped, we don't know. But the Spirit, who inspired those words, filled those words with a world of meaning that the New Testament church is better able to comprehend now. They sang of the ascension of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the thou of our text, who ascended on high. Just as the ark left its lowly station, its lowly place in the private house of Abinadab and the private house of Obed-Edom to go up to the glorious top of Mount Zion, to the temple of God or the tabernacle of God, so too Jesus Christ, who from the beginning of His incarnation was in the lowly Bethlehem stable, was brought up and ascended from His state of humiliation into the state of exaltation and glory. And that was his due reward. For the work of salvation the Father gave him to perform, he finished. And now we come back to those two significant points of the history of the ark going up to Mount Zion. Completion of the exodus and a triumphal entry. And we see that both of those points of significance come out here as well. Jesus' ascension into heaven brought to completion the true exodus of the spiritual Israel. Jesus' work of salvation was the exodus. The scriptures speak about it that way. Though our translation doesn't bring it out very clearly. Luke 9, verse 31. This verse describes what took place on the Mount of Transfiguration. Luke 9, verse 31. What Peter, James, and John saw. You remember, Jesus went there. He spoke with Moses and Elijah. Now, Luke 9, verse 31 says, And behold, there talked with him, with Jesus, two men which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Now that word decease, his decease, that word decease is exodus. 
And he spoke of his exodus, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. See, Jesus is the deliverer, but he's the greater deliverer than Moses. He is the Savior sent to redeem captive spiritual Israel. That is, the entire assembly of God's elect from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And he comes to deliver them not simply from the political oppression of another nation, but to deliver them from the spiritual oppression of sin, Satan, and death, the spiritual Egypt. That's the real house of bondage. And Jesus is the great deliverer who leads his people on the true exodus. He leads spiritual Israel on the true exodus out of spiritual Egypt. The bondage of sin, Satan, and death. And this spiritual exodus is accomplished, Luke 9 verse 31 says, especially at Jerusalem through Jesus' decease. His death on the cross. There he atoned for our sins, paid our debt, satisfied justice, met every demand of God's law, appeased the holy wrath of the just God, broke the power of sin, broke the hold of Satan, ransomed captive Israel, and brought us into the glorious liberty of the children of God. That exodus was brought to its full completion with Jesus' ascension. Just as the ark reaching its final resting place so that now God is among his people and from his throne on Mount Zion he rules and showers his blessings upon Israel. So too Jesus, after he died and conquered our enemies, he arose to give us life and then he ascended He ascended on high to be seated at his Father's right hand in glory from there to pour out his heavenly graces upon his people to make us the inheritors of life everlasting, the true spiritual Canaan. So you see, how the historical event that is the background of this psalm is really just the shadow. The reality is the ascension of Jesus Christ. Now, just as the going up of the ark to the top of Mount Zion was a celebration of complete victory over Israel's enemies, so too Jesus' ascension up into heaven was his triumphal entry into heaven, which proclaimed the complete victory of Christ over his enemies and the enemies of his people. He was seated at God's right hand. All authority in heaven and earth was given to him. And from there in heaven, by his power, by his word and spirit, he gathers his people to himself. He conquers his elect from the nations, conquers them by his grace, and gathers them Into his church. The triumph. Expressed in this psalm. Is the triumph of the conquering Christ. Who has ascended. In victory. Having ascended. He bestows his benefits. Upon his people. And that's the next part of Psalm 68. Verse 18. 
We've looked at the event, thou hast ascended on high, but now what follows are two outstanding benefits that come to us through the ascension of our Lord. First, thou hast led captivity captive. Second, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also. Let's look at those two in order. First, thou hast led captivity captive. Beautiful expression there. Jesus, through his death, his resurrection, and finally his ascension, has led captivity captive. What does that mean? Well, that expression conveys the idea of complete conquest of one's enemies, the total subjugation of an enemy population so that your enemies are underneath your feet. Christ has made captivity captive. Everything that formerly put God's people into captivity has itself been conquered and now taken captive by the victorious Christ. When David brought the ark to Jerusalem, it was a celebration of victory. God had given Israel victory over her enemies. Israel had rest. From a certain point of view, captivity had been taken captive. Egypt was no longer a threat. The Canaanites, the Philistines, who had for so long been a thorn in Israel's side, had been subdued. And under God's warrior king David, Israel had peace. Jesus. Jesus is the real one that this verse is talking about. He is the fulfillment of these words. Through his death, his resurrection, his ascension, he has led your captivity captive. There's many dimensions to that. There's three that I want to point out especially. First, Jesus leading Our captivity captive means this. He's led our captors captive. Those that held us in captivity, he has conquered and has now made to be his captives. Our spiritual enemies are Jesus' prisoners of war. By his cross, in the most marvelous, unexpected way, by giving himself into the hands of his enemies, he conquered and he destroyed the power of the devil and the power of sin. And by his cross, by his resurrection, by his ascension, he leads our enemies into captivity. The power of spiritual Egypt he has broken so that it has... No more dominion over us, even though it is an enemy that we yet wrestle with. The power of sin, indwelling sin, it is a power that is broken. We're no longer in captivity, slaves to sin or to Satan, because Jesus has led our captors captive. Satan is Jesus' prisoner of war, sin, death. Are Jesus' prisoners, his slaves. They are in chains now. Our chains are broken, but Satan, death, and sin are now in chains. 
And because they are Jesus' captives, they must do our Savior's will. There's a wonderful application for this Ascension Day. Our Savior ascended on high. He led your captivity captive. What does that mean? Your captors must serve you now. All things must work together for your good. All things must be subservient to your salvation. Even your enemies. Because Jesus has taken them captive. In the second place, that the ascended Christ has led captivity captive means this. He took you and me captive. He went to war against the kingdom of darkness. He went to war against the stronghold of Satan. He conquered Satan and his host. Remember, you and I by nature are children of Satan's kingdom. Children of the kingdom of darkness. When Jesus conquered Satan and the kingdom of darkness, he took us captive. He stormed our stony hearts by his grace. He broke down the walls. He took us as the spoils of his victory. And what blessed captivity that is. You see, the captivity of Jesus Christ is perfect freedom. To be taken captive by Christ is to exchange the cruel tyranny of the devil and the servitude of sin for the blessed liberty of the children of God. When Jesus comes and he takes us captive, he takes us captive to set us free. He takes us captive to make us children of God. He takes us captive not to oppress, to afflict, to destroy us. To fill us with his blessedness, his joy, and his peace. The ascended Christ leads his church captive. A blessed captivity. He takes us out of the kingdom of darkness and leads us in his train. And his train follows him all the way up to glory. To the place that he is even now preparing for us. How sweet is the conquest of grace. A conquest of grace that makes us, as Psalm 110 verse 3 says, willing in the day of His power. Willing, we delight in that grace that conquers us. That grace that breaks the stony heart, moves us to repentance, kindles faith, and makes us joyfully bend the knee before our conquering Savior. Grace that casts down our imaginations and everything that exalts itself against God and leads us to bring into into captivity every thought and deed to the obedience of Christ. The captivity of Christ is the end of all captivity. And so when the text says, the Lord ascended and he took captivity captive, that means he conquered our captors and he took our captors captive. And he took us into the blessed captivity, which is the glorious liberty of the children of God. That he took us. Simply another way of saying, we belong to Jesus now. Third, that the ascended Christ 
takes captivity captive points to the work that he is doing yet today. Jesus is still taking captivity captive. And how so? He's doing this from his throne in heaven. Where he continues to direct the warfare of his church militant in the world. And what are the battle commands from our king? The great commission. Go into all nations. Make disciples. Teach. Baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to do whatsoever things I have commanded you. There's the church's warfare. The ascended Christ as king directs the church militant in the carrying out of the great commission. The preaching of the gospel. And as that gospel goes forward and is applied to hearts by the spirit of Jesus Christ. Captivity is taken captive. Elect. Are taken captive out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the glorious liberty Of the children of God. The conquering Christ makes his former enemies his people. And there's the beauty and the urgency of the gospel going forward yet in our day. As it goes forward, the one who has descended leads captivity captive. Now the second benefit that the text highlights. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men. Yea, for the rebellious also. The idea here in this part of the verse is a king receiving tribute. Receiving gifts. Even receiving spoil that he has taken in battle against his enemies. And then distributing some of that wealth generously To his citizens. David did that. David received gifts and tribute from the nations he conquered. He came back from the battlefield with spoil. Taken from his subdued enemies. And the victorious king shared that wealth with his people. His victory was Israel's victory. And Israel was enriched by the spoil and the tribute. That David received. From his, victor- from his victories on the battlefield. And these words also have their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Christ is the one who ascended on high and receives gifts and gives those gifts. Literally, this phrase of the text could be rendered this way. Thou hast received gifts in man. In man. And so a theological truth comes out here. Namely that. Jesus. By finishing. The work the father gave him to perform. Received in his human nature. As man. The blessings of salvation. Which he merited. Through his saving work, he received those gifts. And now as our head, as our conquering king, he now bestows those gifts upon the members of his body, upon the citizens of his kingdom, upon his elect whom he took into the blessed captivity that is called salvation. 
Christ received gifts in his human nature. And he received those gifts for men. That's how Ephesians 4 interprets this text. He received those gifts for men to bestow upon his people. Just as a generous king shares the spoils of his victory with his citizens. And enriches his people. That's what Jesus does. He enriches us not with silver or gold. Not with a happier life. Not with a bunch of treasures of this world. Not with ease. Not with convenience. But he enriches us with all the spiritual blessings of salvation. Which are true treasures. Forgiveness of your sins. He merited that on the cross. When he paid for your sins. He earned that blessing for you. And now he ascends. In order to bestow that blessing upon you, having received gifts, he bestows gifts. What can be compared to that? Can any silver or gold, can anything in this world even come close to matching the value of that chief blessing of salvation? The forgiveness of all of your sins. Righteousness before the judgment seat of God. Eternal life and its joy. The true Canaan. If Jesus' resurrection was like the dawning of a new day, the sunrise, his ascension was like the sun rising to its zenith, from which point it shines its warming light and bathes the world in its rays. That's the ascension. Having arisen, having shone again in the darkness, the light of the world rises to his zenith, shines the rays of his salvation blessings upon his people. Chief of those gifts is his Holy Spirit given us. Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men, and now the text ends with a purpose. What's the end goal of all of this? Of Jesus' ascension, of leading captivity captive, of giving gifts. The end, the aim, the goal is that the Lord God might dwell among men. To put it in one word. The fellowship of a reconciled people with their God. A people reconciled through the shedding of Christ's blood. Their fellowship with the God of their salvation. That's the aim. That's the goal. That was the purpose of the ark ascending to the top of Mount Zion. It was so that God might dwell in the midst of his people and that they might have fellowship with him. That fellowship, that dwelling together, of course, was limited in the Old Testament before Jesus Christ. That veil separated Israel from the most holy place. But now, after Christ and his victorious conquest on the cross, that veil is torn. We have direct access unto our God through Jesus Christ, who is the new and living way. And Jesus ascended on high. He led captivity captive so that the Lord God might dwell among his people. Fellowship. 
That's where that chief blessing of Christ's ascension comes into the picture again. The Holy Spirit. That's how God dwells with us now through our ascended Lord. Christ ascended on high and he received of the Father the gift of the Spirit. Acts 2 verse 33 says. And Jesus then sheds that gift abroad. Pours out his Spirit on the church. So that the Spirit now dwells in us. The Spirit works to perform and to perfect that good work begun in us. The Spirit abides with us forever. The Spirit unites us to Jesus Christ. The Spirit makes us a partaker of all the spoils of His victory. The Holy Spirit makes us to be His temples, so that we become the temples of our God. The Spirit brings together believers, like many lively stones, into one spiritual house where God dwells with His people. The Spirit of the ascended Christ is the one by whom God dwells with us. Till till that day of the consummation of all things, when the ascended Christ returns, God makes his tabernacle with men. We behold him face to face and dwell with him. Face to face. What great reasons, beloved, we have to sing this song of the church's victory. This song of the ascended Christ. Our God dwells with us. We who were rebellious. He has reconciled us to him. He has ascended on high. He has led captivity captive. He has given gifts. Blessed be the Lord. Who daily loadeth us with benefits. Even the God of our salvation. Amen. We thank thee for the ascension of Jesus Christ, Heavenly Father. And for the benefits with which he loads us each day. And for his spirit who dwells in us. Through whom we have fellowship with thee. We pray that thou wilt continue to apply to us the blessings of our Lord's ascension. Bring us more and more into the blessed captivity of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is perfect freedom. Till the day when thou dost make thy tabernacle with us in the new heavens and the new earth. And we shall know thee, even as we are known of thee. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.